We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome into the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Wednesday, June 21st, otherwise known as the day before the NBA draft. DJ Trainer here, joined live from Manhattan with, by Nick Whalen. What's up, Nick? Not too much, man. It feels weird to hear you doing the intro uh, on the spot. I feel like I'm being hijacked. But yes, I am in Manhattan. I am currently sitting in the corner of the lobby of the Grand Hyatt in New York. Uh, just finished up media day obligations for the NBA draft. So James and I are going to be doing a much more comprehensive podcast leading up to the draft tomorrow night. We'll put that out uh, sometime early afternoon on Thursday. But you and I, first of all, we have not talked in a long time. You were in Europe. Uh, I'm, I'm traveling now. I was traveling a little bit uh, the last couple of weeks as well. So we haven't had a chance to catch up. First of all, I want to know how your Euro trip was. Second of all, we have like three fairly blockbusterous trades to get to and a whole ton of rumors that have been churning pretty much since the finals ended last week. All right. Europe trip was great. Had a great time. As we discussed on our pod before I left, 
the absolute worst time, the worst two, three hours you could ever pick for having to watch the NBA Finals. So it was about 3 to 5 a.m. each of the games. I think it was games two through you know five I was in Europe for. Did not watch him. It just was unreasonable. Woke up immediately to Twitter reaction. I got to say, though, Nick, I haven't gone back and watched those games, and I'm just not going to. I, you know me. I'm just so deflated by the whole KD moving to the Warriors. And, and it's just, like, grown over the course of the season. Now, full disclosure, I'm a Thunder fan, but just, like, the spirit of competition, I think, might even be more for me than just KD leaving my favorite team. I, it's just, like, it, it was a foregone conclusion, and I just have no even interest to go back and watch the game take because I think I'm just going to get even more disgruntled. But did you feel that way watching the series, that, you know, there's just no hope here, even though the Cavs did end up stealing one game? Yeah, I think if you're a smart basketball fan, you knew that. I, I wouldn't say the, the the game four win for the Cavs was necessarily a fluke. I mean, they hit a ton of threes. It was an NBA record. Um, but they outplayed Golden State. You know, it, they're a good team that certainly has the capability to shoot that many threes and make that many threes, and we've seen them do it before. So it, it wasn't like game four was a fluky win. Um, you felt after game three that it was over, you know, uh, no one's ever come back from a three Oh lead and you know, everything that happened last year would, I think kind of serve to give Cavs fans and, and maybe people who are rooting against the Warriors more hope. Um, but Cleveland just dug itself too big of a hole. I mean, I, I don't know how much you were able to see of games of games one and two. Um, but it was a repeat of last year. You know, the, the point differential was actually less in terms of, you know, the combined losses for Cleveland this year compared to last year, but it, it was just as demoralizing. You know, you, you just kind of felt that even with Cleveland not playing all that badly, even with LeBron playing really well in those games and in all five games of the series, the addition of Kevin Durant was just too much. So I guess I wasn't necessarily upset with how it transpired. It just, it happened exactly like we expected. You know, I said Warriors in five before the series and, you know, the way that it happened with the Warriors jumping out to a 3-0 lead dropping a game forward, which the Cavs shot the lights out, and then taking care of business at home in game five, I think is how most people probably saw it happening. So it was hard for me to be upset with something that I kind of saw coming, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I guess it just didn't deviate from what we all thought. And so that's why it's deflating for me. Now, in terms of me just like kind of, you know, walking around Europe, I went to uh, Denmark, Sweden, France, and Spain. Definitely saw some jerseys everywhere, some paraphernalia everywhere throughout the NBA. But just from a logistics standpoint, like, you know, on a nightly basis, it's hard for Europe to watch games. It's it's 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. And I know Europe generally stays up later than we do in the U.S., but man, just from a logistics in terms of spreading the game overseas, it's just hard. It's just hard to watch the NBA if you live in Europe. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Obviously, the NBA has been moving over or having games in London, but the games that they have in London are set at a different time. So I don't know if probably not as much as the NFL where they'd like to get a team over there, perhaps. Uh, It's just hard logistically to grow the game in Europe, especially when they have a decent league already there. What is it? The Turkish Airline League. So pretty fun to see all, you know, that the NBA is definitely a worldwide sport, but man, it is just hard to watch NBA basketball in Europe. What jerseys did you see most of? Are we we talking like any cool throwbacks or was it just a lot of Curry, Kobe, LeBron, Durant, et cetera? 
Yeah, exactly. The guys you just mentioned, a lot of that, probably more Curry than anything. Um, I'm trying to think if I saw any good. And obviously some of those came from tourists because I was just going from one tourist stop to the other. But uh, I think Curry and some 24 Kobe jerseys were the most, the most that I saw over there. Got you. Yeah. All right, so let's get into everything that's happened over the last couple of days. Um, we've really only had two concrete moves, but it feels like there have been a lot more with all the rumors swirling around Paul George and Jimmy Butler and even DeAndre Jordan, you know, kind of finding himself in the mix of that last night. But let's start with the first move that, that actually did go down yesterday afternoon. That was D'Angelo Russell going to Brooklyn, Timothy Mozgov going to Brooklyn, and the Lakers bringing back the Nets first round pick, one of the in the 20s, I believe it was number 27, is heading to LA, as well as Brooke Lopez expiring contract. So I I hesitate to say that either team won this deal, but it's very easy to look at it, uh, the framework of the deal, and say, okay, I see why both of these teams did this. Yeah, of course, because you know the Nets have had absolutely not even a glimmer of hope, and now they do with D'Angelo Russell. So uh, they have to take on that terrible Mozgov contract, but they were able to get something and a decent something out of an expiring Brooke Lopez contract. No surprises here. Lopez had been on on the trade market for trade block for the last few years. Um, so I think, you know, it, it's, it's hard to say that one team won the trade and one team lost because I think it's just a solid move on both parties. You know, there's a lot to be gained from each side. Um, you know, what I like to do is just kind of project ahead for the Lakers and say they've put themselves in a position now with just a couple more moves they have room for basically two max contracts where the possibility of having a team of Paul George and LeBron James uh, after 2018 is realistically possible or it's, you know, fiscally possible. Do you think that that this is an, an attempt to move towards being able to add two you know, two max players, Nick, or is this just simply, um, you know, other intentions where they knew they wanted to move on from Russell and dump Mozgov contract? I think it's 90% of the first thing you mentioned that's positioning themselves for Paul George, who basically came out and said last week that he wants to be a Los Angeles Laker, whether it's this coming season or the season after. Um, and then the possibility of LeBron James coming in two years as well, or, or it could be someone else. If LeBron opts to stay in Cleveland or you know do who knows what else, they just want to have room in the event uh, that, that another superstar shows interest. And I think with Paul George theoretically being in the mix, a much more appealing destination than it has been, you know, really since probably Kobe Bryant was still in his prime. You know, we, there's, it's the joke every offseason that L.A. just kind of thinks it can coast into free agency, cherry-pick whoever it wants, and, you know, the last time that that's really happened has been, you know, five, six, seven years ago. So, you know, I, I think that's the, clearly the primary motivation behind the deal, but there are other, you know, ancillary you know, things you can look at. So the Mozgov contract, obviously, three for 48 over the next three years was one that they had to get out from under in order to create that max space uh, and in order to get any team to take that. And there's only a handful of teams that really can, and Brooklyn is kind of the obvious. You need to attach either a pick or an attractive young player. And you would imagine that it came down to Brooklyn either asking for the number two pick or asking for D'Angelo Russell or Brandon Ingram or maybe Jordan Clarkson and Julius Randle. And I think L.A., I, would, I hesitate to say it's the right move because we don't really know what D'Angelo Russell is. I think it was really hard to evaluate D'Angelo Russell 
in the situation that he was in these last two years with you know the Kobe Bryant retirement two or two years ago, and then just the the general dysfunction that was the Lakers last year. So, you know, if you're LA, this is kind of a way to to clear the way for Lonzo Ball. I think that's the, that's the third aspect here is that they virtually lock the Lakers into Lonzo at number two, assuming they stay there. Um, but then you look at it from the Nets' perspective, this is a pretty damn good deal. I mean, Brooke Lopez was not going to resign in Brooklyn anyway, uh, and he's an expiring contract guy who's just kind of a sitting duck on a bad team who you're flipping for a guy that, I don't know, like if you're Brooklyn, you're not going to get anyone better than D'Angelo Russell, right? And, you know, there are people out there who don't like D'Angelo all that much, but it's hard to argue that you're going to find a player that young with that much potential uh, for a relatively modest return. Right. He averaged just over 28 minutes per game last season, uh, just under 16 points and just under five assists. I mean, that's pretty good for a second year player in the league. He's only 21 years old, uh, obviously taken very high in the draft just a few years ago. Uh, I thought this was absolutely great for the Nets. Uh, My very first instinct when I saw this trade was that, yes, Lonzo Ball is now uh, definitely locked into that number two pick. There's going to be no, you know, do you move Russell down to shooting guard or anything like that? So that all makes sense. And I think it's great that Russell just kind of gets a fresh start, right? And so that whole um, fiasco with Nick Young and, you know, the fan base kind of turning on Russell and whatnot, I think it's great for Russell to, uh, you know, get just a uh, a fresh situation. In terms of fantasy and, and, you know, just on the court, like Russell is now the go-to scorer for the Nets, for better or worse. Uh, I'm expecting him to really have kind of a breakout campaign. The third year in the NBA is always a pivotal year um, for younger players. But, you know, he's produced. He's seen time on the court. He's produced. I expect him to do very well. The other thing I was thinking, or well, a side note here, you, you know, everybody wants to say, oh, Paul George and LeBron James, they have room. But I think you made a good point in saying, well, Paul George and another max level player. So let's not just assume and pencil in LeBron James. You know, two bona fide players can now come into LA over the next couple years in free agency. The other thing I want to talk about in terms of players that are affected, um, Ivica Zubats. You know, he it seemed like he started the last 10 games of the season last year, gaining momentum heading into the offseason, kind of a fantasy darling. And then going into next season, it seemed like he was going to be in store for lots of minutes. But now it seems pretty obvious that Brooke Lopez is going to be the starter for next season, even though he's going to be there for one year. But what do you make in terms of Zubats, who came on strong as, as of last year, but now it seems like he's definitely going to be in a reserve role? Yeah, I think in some ways this was L.A. just trying to maximize next season. Um, I think if they get Paul George sometime before this season starts, um, you know, having a player like Brooke Lopez is, is, is valuable. And even if they don't, you know, Lopez is clearly an upgrade over Timothy Moskov, who basically rode the bench for the second half of last season. Um, and as, as promising as Zubac has been, you know, I, it's hard to argue that Lopez isn't an upgrade over him as well. You know, maybe not in the long term, but I don't think L.A. really sees him as a long-term piece anyway. And the reason for all that is L.A. doesn't own its pick next year. So that, that pick um, is gone for sure. And you know, they ended up getting three top three picks you know, before finally having to convey it. So in some ways, this is just kind of like they don't have a motivation to be bad as they have the last couple of years. So I think for them, it's like, yeah, well, Brooke Lopez is expiring. That's the reason that we're getting first and foremost. But at the same time, Brooke Lopez is actually pretty good, and he's going to help them win the game. 
Yeah, most definitely. I mean, Brooke Lopez has been one of the most underrated players in the NBA over the last few years. He, you know, he's you know started his career out with those foot injuries, and and that's obviously been a big risk factor. But he's played, you know, most of the games over the last couple of seasons. I feel fine and confident putting to bed those foot issues. They haven't crept up over the last two seasons, and you know, I think that Lopez is not only you know a good rebounder, but he can score, and he's not a terrible defender. So, uh, one of the more underrated players for me. Um, but we had another center on the move, Nick, uh, just yesterday. We did. Uh, a player that I'm running out of excuses for at this point. <laughs> I, have defend- I have defended this man, frankly, for, for quite a long time. Uh, Dwight Howard, the Dwight Howard, future first ballot Hall of Famer. Dwight Howard is now somehow a Charlotte Hornet. Um, so I actually happened to be on Twitter. I was just, just scrolling through last night and... Of course, I followed Dwight Howard, as, as any fan of a, of a great player would, and he, he started a Q&A on Twitter, just like a general off-season Q&A, you know, kind of like, wow, this is so crazy, I want to I hear what the fans have to say. Seven minutes later, he got traded. So he basically got traded during his own Q&A, which, which obviously led to a firestorm of people making fun of him. Um, <laughs> but I, I, said to, I texted James Anderson last night, and I said, serious question, is this the saddest trade of all time. Wow, that's and a great question. Just to, seriously, just to go over what's happening here, the Hornets get Dwight Howard, they are sending Miles Plumley and Marco Bellinelli, and they're also, the Hawks are moving back in the draft. They, they are not only giving up you know, Dwight Howard, who's a, what, eight, without looking at a seven or eight time all-star, you're giving him up, and you're moving back ten spots. It, it's a bizarre, bizarre trade. and it's, it's not like Miles Plumley is this great young player. He's, he's a pretty bad center who's on a pretty bad deal. He's owed $12.5 billion each of the years. So it's not like you're dumping Dwight Howard's bad contract for this great contract. Um, so it's just an odd move. Uh, I, I think for Dwight, personally, it's probably good, right? I mean, last year with the whole homecoming situation, there was a little bit of hope that finally he could be in the right situation for himself. Obviously, that wasn't the case. And, you know, the silver lining here, what people, you know, on Twitter last night were trying to make sense of the deal is that, all right, he's reunited with Steve Clifford. Clifford was an assistant with Orlando when Dwight was at his peak. He was an assistant in L.A. when Dwight, you know, was maligned but was still a really good player. So, you know, I don't, is Steve Clifford the Dwight whisperer? I, I guess we'll find out. I don't know what's good for Dwight Howard anymore. I feel like we've said that a few times over the last five years. And, and what I'm finally settling on is what would be the best, you know, good thing that could ever happen to Dwight Howard is that his whole entire career was shifted ahead 10 years when, you know, post centers really mattered, really mattered. I mean, we're talking about a guy and, you know, you, you've been on your soapbox for how many years, Nick? Uh, incredibly undervalued right he's just so athletic even still today and not as much as he was back in the Orlando days still just undervalued in terms of what he can do and and you know what type of athlete he is but he's just kind of like been around the NBA at the wrong time where his position and what he does has been marginalized um, I don't know what's good for him anymore I, I you can talk about all the coaches he's going to reunite with all the schemes all the playing time but just over and over again, it really just seems like this guy just has a hard time fitting in with NBA franchises. Um, we were kicking around the idea, Nick, um, and you would have loved this. This would have been your favorite question. Uh, we had a meeting earlier today in the Rotowire office, and that Miles Plumley contract you talk about, this is the third team he's been on with that $52 million contract over four years. How many teams will he end up with? Because 
teams no longer, uh, you know, look at Miles Plumley and talk about what he can do on the court. It's all about how can we manipulate that contract. So right now we've we've got three teams over the course of this four year contract. How many teams will he end up playing for? That's actually a really good question. I would say he's probably going to average one team per year. So what by the end of it, six teams. I mean, it should have been a red flag when Milwaukee signed him to the contract and then, what, three months later just decided that it was a bad deal. Right. And it's somehow been able, and it's somehow been able to be moved it's like with relative ease. So, yeah, I, I, I don't understand it. I, I, I do wonder if it's a little bit like the DeMarcus Cousins deal in that other teams saw what, you know, what uh, the Hornets gave up for Dwight and were saying, like, maybe we don't love Dwight, but, man, we could do better than Bellinelli, Plumlee, and a you know, a second round pick. So I think Dwight still has a lot of value. I mean, he's only 31 years old. Um, but like you said, the problem, I think him as like a locker room liability is way overblown. I don't think it's really ever been the case, but I think on court, somebody who, you know, was pretty much solidified as the third best player in the NBA from, you know, 2006 to like 2010 I think it's really hard in a short period of time to go from that stage to being asked to be a third or fourth option on offense. He's really, really struggled with that transition. So, you know, in order for Dwight Howard to be Dwight Howard, I think he has to be the focal point of an offense like he was in Orlando. And I just don't, you can't do that in today's NBA, right? Like what team is in position to offer Dwight Howard the keys to his franchise? Exactly. And that's why I said, you know, it's just, it's just, it's not his NBA anymore. It just doesn't suit him well anymore. I would disagree with you a little bit that, you know, whether inside the locker room when all the doors are closed, he's a problem or not. Those last days in Orlando and when he was in L.A., just the the, the presence that he brings in the media and the speculation that, you know, you can say maybe what he says and what comes out of his mouth behind closed doors is not an issue as much as people make it out to be. But what what comes with him is 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 a locker room problem. Even though you know it's probably overblown, um, I think sad is the perfect way to sum up this trade uh, for Charlotte. Uh, you know, we brought on Taylor Cunningham and we kind of talked with her, and she was obviously very positive because she works very closely with the team. Uh, but that team is pretty much locked in with its personnel over the next few years. And I think if nothing else, Howard just brings in like a small small layer of something different and I don't know that that different is good necessarily but at least they're switching something up that seems you know like it was going nowhere and was locked into going nowhere over the next three years because they really don't have a lot of room to bring in anybody else um, outside of this trade so if you're a Hornets fan are you excited are you skeptical I don't even know you know how to feel if, if you're a Hornets fan right now I think you're a mixture of excited and skeptical. Yeah, I don't, I don't really see how you could be upset about this unless you've just really grown to hate Dwight Howard, which honestly a lot of people probably have. But when you're only giving up a bad contract and a wing player who you know, really has been a, a non-factor since he came to Charlotte, and Bellinelli's expiring too. So, I mean, he would have watched for probably nothing anyway. Like, yeah, if, if somebody just said, well, you're basically just like putting Dwight Howard on your team with, with no expense, like, yeah, I mean, I think you still want him. He's still an asset. He, he was just like a 13-13 and 13 guy last year, and there's not a ton of players in the NBA who can just go out and get you somewhere between 10 and 15 rebounds every single night. So, you know, you're, you're not bringing in this complete cancer, you know, who's just going to rip apart your team. And then if you're Charlotte, you know, like you said, you're set. Like, your roster is pretty much locked in. You don't have a bunch of flexibility. You're not this free agency destination where you're hoping – 
to get, you know, LeBron's not going to go to Charlotte next year. You kind of have to take these types of chances and hope that you hit on something. So, you know, in, in terms of like the type of talent that Charlotte is or was going to be able to bring in over the next couple of years, you know, you, you might not be able to do that much better than Dwight Howard, as, as bad as that sounds. So I, I really like it from Charlotte's perspective. I don't think you have much to lose. You have, like you said, your roster's set, and that roster didn't even make the playoffs last year. So I don't really know if you're the Hornets and you just run it back with last year's top seven or eight guys and expect something different to happen. Uh, I don't know if that's the right move. So, so bringing in Dwight is at least you know a step toward trying to figure something out. Right, and I always respect that. You know, that's one thing that the Bucks always did, right? You know, that they didn't just sit on their hands and be mediocre. They tried stuff. You know, bringing in J.J. Redick, was that a great move for the Bucks? No, but I at least admired the front office that they tried to do tried to do something, and that's what Charlotte's doing. Is it a good, positive move? Does it automatically net them 10-plus wins? No, it doesn't, but at least they're mixing things up, keeping things fresh. Um, so that does it for the definitive trades here. So that those are the trades that have happened. Let's move on to the speculative portion of the podcast. And of course, let's kick things off with Paul George. Above all else, you know, it seems like he's destined for the Lakers, whether that happens via trade or through free agency after next season. I just, for, for a franchise that was really nice to Paul George and kind of, you know, made him their number one star, um, kind of looked towards him after Danny Granger to just like come out and leak however it happened. I don't care how it happened because it came out that you're not going to come back to Indiana. You know, what that does is that diminishes whatever trade value he had. I mean, the least he could have done for this franchise, the Pacers, that is, is to say, I don't know, I think I'm coming back so that his own trade value is higher. Um, But because it was leaked and he said he's not, he has no intention of coming back to Indiana, you know, what team, especially the Lakers, is going to go out there and and give give up their farm, if you, to use a baseball analogy, to get Paul George? The least he could have done was just say, I'm 50 50, right? I mean, it just seems like a massive kind of F you to a franchise where he spent his whole career. Yeah, there's no there's no confusion as to how this got out. First of all, I mean Paul George and his camp, uh, in in what they are basically framing as an act of goodwill, you know, letting the Pacers know ahead of time, uh, publicly of course, that he's not <laughs> going to be back. And on the surface, yeah, that seems great. Uh, but at the same time, the moment that he said I prefer L.A. is the moment that the Pacers lost all their leverage. You know, it, had Paul George just said I'm probably going to opt out. You still lose quite a bit of leverage, but you don't lose it as much as when there's one destination in mind. So, you know, from that point, if you, unless you're the Lakers, any other team that calls Kevin Pritchard and says, all right, we're interested in Paul George, you know, uh, let's say it's the Phoenix Suns, and, they, and, you know, Pritchard says, all right, give us number four and give us Devin Booker. If you're the Suns, you're going to say no, because this guy's only going to stay one year. And, you know, now that the Pacers just are going to have a very hard time, I think, prying away any any A or, or B plus or even B level assets from teams because the guy that they're chasing has openly told everyone that unless it's the Lakers or maybe the Clippers, he's not going to resign anywhere else. So it, it's kind of a nightmare situation for Indiana. You know, the one alternative that they do have is don't trade Paul George, hope that Paul George makes the all NBA team. And then you can offer him the Supermax next summer even at this point, though, it, it seems like Paul George is just resigned to the fact that that's not going to be an option. 
Yeah, which is just, I mean, what a, what an interesting approach to take to your final season uh, in Indiana. Uh, I, re- I just haven't liked the way it's gone down. Um, even if the, if Paul George goes to the Lakers and they add another max player, they're still going to be bumping into into the Warriors. And um, I, I don't know if you're Indiana when you're a small market team, the super max. It, it seems like Paul George level players should be staying um, in Indiana. And just because he barely missed out, you know, you have to wonder: do, do you need to rework the rule because Paul George is the type of player? that should be incentivized to stay in a small market just because he barely missed out uh, on the Supermax. You know, I, I don't know if the rule is working necessarily. It seems almost like maybe teams should just be allowed to you know, offer a Supermax to anybody they want um, because it, it, this is like the exact situation where it seems like uh, you know, maybe Paul George needs to be more incentivized to stay in Indiana. So I don't, I don't know if the rule or the super max is working because we have DeMarcus Cousins where the Kings got rid of him because they didn't want it. And then now Indiana has absolutely no leverage at all to even get, um, you know, something back in return for the best player they've had. Um, you know, one of the best players in their organization. So I don't know how I feel about this super max so far, Nick. Yeah. And that guy we're going to talk about in a second, Jimmy Butler, could also be lumped into this conversation. I think we're going into the second straight draft now where at times it seems like Jimmy Butler is right on the verge of getting traded. The Cavs were right there yesterday, and then all of a sudden word comes out from Jimmy Butler's camp that he wants to stay in Chicago. He wants to build a winner there. And to me, that's coded language for he couldn't get a commitment that LeBron is going to stay in Cleveland. Or as soon as he's traded, he's not eligible for that Supermax. So even if even if he was traded to Cleveland this offseason, made first-team All-NBA each of the next two years, he wouldn't be eligible because he's not playing for that team that drafted him or he wasn't drafted or wasn't traded, excuse me. I think I think the rule is you can be traded within your first two seasons and then you're still eligible. So, hey, D'Angelo Russell may still be <laughs> eligible for the Supermax in a couple of years. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, it, it creates some odd situations where players are forced to kind of choose between – maybe what they want to do, maybe what's best for their families. Um, and, and I think, as we've said on previous podcasts, these are some unintended consequences that, you know, the rule seemed so so innocent and, and so good overall when it, when it was first introduced. And, you know, already we're, we're kind of starting to see some issues that might need to be addressed in the future. Speaking of Paul George, uh, L.A., I believe it was David Aldridge of TNT who reported this yesterday, they reportedly offered number two, uh, to the Sacramento Kings for both number five and number 10. And the Lakers were then going to package one of those picks with uh, the pick that they acquired from the Nets in the Russell deal, so that was number 27, to Indiana to get Paul George. The logic behind that is that, you know, you, you gain you gain one more year of George before you would theoretically sign him to the extension. Um, you know, in that case, you know, he's able to get acclimated. You're able to essentially prevent him from falling in love with another destination. You know, from a bird rights perspective, it makes it a little bit easier to sign him next summer. But I think the goal there is to just get Paul George now so you don't have to worry about it at all next summer, right? Yeah, that's the goal. I don't think I agree with it. Um, 
for whatever reason, the Lakers seemingly have a win now perspective as we kick things off with bringing in Brooke Lopez, you know, and they have every incentive to do uh, or perform well next season because they don't hold their pick regardless. So I, I don't know. I think the Lakers need to, and they never really have. So I don't know why I would expect them to do this, but just kind of be patient. Um, right. I mean, I guess they kind of think that, you know, with Paul George, with Lonzo Ball, with Brooke Lopez, and then, you know, a solid cast of characters, Julius Randle, Jordan Clarkson, whatever ends up happening, you know, that's not a bad team. That team could definitely make the playoffs. No, all of a sudden. Yeah. Right, that's what I was just going to ask. Because, like, if you, if you, in theory, have Lonzo Ball, Jordan Clarkson, Paul George, Julius Randle, Brooke Lopez, and then, you know, Zubach, if we haven't even mentioned Brandon Ingram, Right. <laughs> and, you know, Larry Nance as your top eight. Like, not only is that maybe a, a seventh or eighth seed in the West, but that's a, a really nice core, and you're essentially replacing Brooke Lopez with, in theory, a much better, you know, max-level player next summer. So I, I can see it. You know, the argument against it, of course, is why why either move back in the draft or give up one of your young assets for a year of Paul George when you're not going to win the title anyway next year and you're just going to sign him. To me, it, just, it would depend what the assets are. Like if you if you could do that trade with Sacramento and you give up the tenth pick, you still get the pick fifth, and you get Paul George. To me, that's probably worth it because there's still going to be a really good player at five. Um, but if you're moving all the way back to ten, you know, all of a sudden you're losing out on on a guy like Lonzo Ball or, or Josh Jackson or De'Aaron Fox. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, the Lakers really aren't in a bad spot to be honest. Like they for all the, the crap that they've received over these last few years, um, all of a sudden now, if, if with Paul George looking like he's going to go there, that, that kind of erases all that. Yeah, most definitely. The funny thing is that when we look back on it, I hope we all realize that the Lakers tanked you know, just as hard or you know, pretty close to as hard as the Sixers have, and they developed slowly but surely a, a nice core. Um, thank you, Kobe Bryant, for putting on that last year mockery uh, of an NBA season. And so they, they were able to mask hardcore tanking with Kobe Bryant's farewell tour, but um, they have just, I mean, they have a great young core. They've, they're making the cap room to acquire one or two major, major NBA players. Um, I, I think my official stance on this is going to be Lakers just be patient, but I don't think so because uh, you know, I've also said many times there's, you know, there's a lot of valuable experience in just getting to the playoffs feeling what it's like and then using that as a jumping off point for making more serious pushes deeper into the playoffs. So uh, I'd be lying if I didn't think that the Lakers could make the playoffs uh, this coming season, gain a lot of experience and use that as a jumping off point, maybe to add another star um, and just be one more year more mature. So yeah, they're in a great position. Um, I don't think, I don't think they're done yet. Um, but uh, yeah, gosh, it, it just, it's, it's pretty amazing to me that they, they were able to tank, under you know under the shadow of Kobe Bryant and I think they have just as good of a outlook as the Suns the Sixers the Celtics I mean the Timberwolves you can pick any of those young teams I think the Lakers are right there in terms of uh, what they have to look forward to in the future so if it's not the Lakers that trade for Paul George who are the other teams that could realistically make this move you know in a justify in a justifiable manner um you know there's assuming that paul george does want to go to la next year it's pretty tough you know to for a for a mediocre team to to give up any assets to get him for basically one season 
you know, there's a team like Cleveland, I think, could do it just because they're, they're just operating on a year-by-year basis. Like, at this point, with the way that LeBron has kind of handcuffed them with his contract, you really don't have a choice. So I think they're kind of the obvious one. But, I mean, if, if Boston, is it, is it worth giving up a couple of those young assets or a, a future pick or two for a year of Paul George where you, you, know, you, you make a run at Cleveland next year and then you just hope that, that Paul George likes Boston? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really tough to find other teams that, that really have, you know, what Indiana would be looking for. You know, Houston, I think, is, is going to be involved. I think they, they're going to try to package maybe Eric Gordon and some combination of Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams. You know, that's, that's pretty appealing if you're Paul George for just a one-year stop. But, you know, for Houston, uh, I guess we'll package these together. For Houston and Boston teams that, that have some actual, you know, feasible assets that Indiana might be interested in, is it worth it for what could be a one-year rental? Yeah, see, that's what I don't understand is a lot of these other teams outside of the Lakers um, need to consider to bring him in and just kind of court him over the year. Like, oh, isn't our city so awesome? Isn't our coaching staff and our player personnel so awesome? Our front office. It's like this guy has been to every NBA city multiple times. He's been on, on a very good team contending in the playoffs. Like, this guy knows what he wants at this point in his career. And, and in his mind, he must have one, two, or three destinations where he's dead set on so you know his mind is made up the only thing that you really need to figure out is are you one of those you know two or three organizations where he would realistically end up signing a new contract there um so i'm not into the idea of courting him i think you know you should either know if he's going to be there or not this this guy's old enough he's mature enough he's been around enough to know and you just hopefully he'll tell you yes or no i mean maybe at some point he gets dumped for I don't know, like maybe just kind of like a, a salary cap trade just because the Pacers are like, well, you know, we'll, we'll rather take pennies on the dollar. And I mean, literal penny, pennies on the dollar here uh, just to like even take one step forward or be better off just in one way or take a flyer on a young prospect or something. So I don't think Paul George is going to end the whole, he's not going to spend the whole next season in Indiana. I think some type of trade will just go through just based on you know just just do something rather than nothing um it, it's really tough for franchises just to let players walk entirely um and speaking you know you brought him up jimmy butler um I yeah if if he gets the supermax he lives in chicago i think people are underrating um you know just being a super millionaire in a big city in the u.s and that winning a championship and being on a contending team might actually be second in some players' mind, not that I'm saying that for Jimmy Butler, but I mean, is it unrealistic of me to assume that maybe not every single player in the NBA will, will put everything aside just to win an NBA championship, and maybe they do value the city they live in and how much money they're making in over their best shot at winning a title, hence Jimmy Butler? No, I think that's totally reasonable. I think when you have a very legitimate chance to be paid $70 million more somewhere, in a pretty desirable city like Chicago, uh, then, you know, like a one-year rental in Cleveland would basically void that option. You know, and if you win the title, maybe it is worth it. But if you don't win the title, that's a pretty huge gamble. Um, yeah, I, I think it's understandable. I mean, he's already he's going to be 28 in September. I think we think of Jimmy Butler as this young player because, you know, he, he took a couple of years to really become who he is now. And, you know, it just really feels like he hasn't been an elite player for all that long. But, you know, he was a four-year college player, a little bit of a late developer. You know, you have a chance at age 30 to cash in 
for $200 million in, in the NBA, I think you do that. And it's hard to fault him for it, you know, especially a guy, you know, you know his, his early life situation had you know, zero money and was basically homeless for, for a lot of his childhood. It's very hard to fault a guy like that um, for, for a decision like this. But at the same time, like, I, I don't really know if we know 100% that this is the motivation behind it. Like, he's, he's maintained that he wants to stay in Chicago and build a winner there. If that's 100% truth, I guess that's admirable, and Chicago is enough of a destination that it's theoretically possible. But, you know, management has pretty openly shopped him the last two years. They've made puzzling free agency decisions and draft decisions. Um, so it's really hard to like see a reason, I guess, beyond the money that he would really want to stay there because of how that team has been mismanaged and how you know, non-competitive that roster is going to be for that, at least the next couple of years. Right. I don't, yeah, I just, I think it's okay if you're an NBA player and you come out and you say, I want to make as much money as possible in the coolest city as possible. And there's just nothing wrong with that. I mean, basically it's the David West approach where you can change teams every year, take the veteran minimum, or you can take the Luol Deng approach and just go to a cool city in Los Angeles, get paid for the next four years, set you up for the rest of your life. Either either of those is perfectly fine with me. And you know you say, what if he goes to Cleveland, wins a championship? Well, then maybe it's worth missing out that $70 million. I don't know that it is. Like, I'll be honest with you. I know the whole goal of every player and franchise in the NBA is to win a championship. But I don't know if one championship is worth $70 million and living in Cleveland as opposed to living in Chicago. I think that that's a realistic, you know, kind of debate that players have in their mind. Is one championship in Cleveland worth $70 million and living in Chicago for the rest of my professional career? To me, if I'm being honest with you, I think that's a fair debate, that I don't know if winning a championship is worth $70 million. Yeah, I mean, you and I have both won multiple titles so right. we're, and we're both we're both you know multimillionaires too so i, I think we we are experts in this situation so <laughs> um <laughs> well let's well first of all luol dang you mentioned we need a 30 for 30 on like luol just luol dang life from like june 29th to <laughs> july 5th or whenever he signed that contract it was actually it was even earlier i think i think the lakers signed him and mozgov like right away with bridge the open I, I mean, Luol Deng could not have expected to get anywhere near that. Like, I would love to just, it doesn't even have to be a 30 for 30. It just needs to be like a 30 second video of Luol Deng's face when that offer was split across the table. It's just, I mean, that, that, that one's even worse than the Bozkoff deal. So, like, the fact that LA was able to move Bozkoff is great, but you still got more on the book. Yeah, I think. Uh, Let's say Jimmy Butler. Oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, I don't have anything super important to add, but I think just Mozgov, Luol Deng, and uh, Noah, Joachim Noah, just all threw a massive party, and they were all just super surprised. If we could just do a split screen between all three of their faces, just you know, yeah. like a 30-second YouTube clip of when they figured out they were going to get that much money, uh, we need that. Maybe narrated, narrated by Chandler Parsons. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly right. So let's say the Bulls want to deal Jimmy Butler. He has a change of heart. He says, all right, I'm out. What makes sense? We don't have to talk about the Cavs. Everyone's beat that to death. The Celtics has been beat to death, too. We know what they have to offer and are probably going to be unwilling to offer. But like, what, what are some uh, like, kind of out-of-the-box destinations that, that you can see Jimmy Butler landing? Because even though he's not necessarily locked up long-term, he's under contract for two more years. So it's not this rental situation in Paul George. So you have a player who some teams probably value as highly or higher than Paul George. Some teams are probably a little lower. Either way, he's in that same echelon. So the return for Jimmy Butler would, in theory, be about the same for Paul George. 
but there's not this worry that he's just a one-year rental. So like, well, what, who are two or three teams that you, you could see putting together a little bit of a creative package? Yeah, before I dip into that question, I will say, you know, it's great that he can play small forward, he can play shooting guard. Uh, this past season, he handled the ball a lot. So I, I think it's uh, realistic to think that he could go anywhere. He really could go to any NBA team. We're not talking about like a Dwight Howard where, you know, he's locked into only a few destinations. Um, yeah, if it, if it's not those teams, I guess, you know, I could see Mark Cuban just saying, hey, you know, I need a bona fide star on my team. I've had one for the last 15 years or whatever it is. Uh, I just want to compete right away. So Dallas would be the off the wall destination. Um, I don't know. Do you think the Thunder have enough to offer uh, to, you know, in terms of the Thunder's first round picks over the next few years, basically whenever Russell Westbrook's contract ends, should be considered very good picks. And so I think they have something to offer some young players. So I guess I'll, I'll go down to the south, southern Midwest and say the Mavericks and the Thunder would be kind of off the wall destinations where, um, you know, perhaps you, you could maybe see those teams making a move. But I think he could realistically go anywhere because he's uh, somewhat positionless. Yeah, I was talking to a friend last night who's a Bulls fan about this very situation. And the question I asked him is, like, what do the Bulls want back? And he, right. he was like, honestly, I don't know. Like, do the Bulls, everything the Bulls have done and the way they've operated, you know, since Gar and Pax have been in charge is like, we're competing every single year. We're doing what we can to compete. So, like, that makes me think if they deal Jimmy Butler, they might want a combination of, like, you know, like an Avery Bradley, um, you know, Jay Crowder combination plus yeah. a pick or something like that where you get that future asset, but you're also not completely going in the tank. Whereas if you would deal him to OKC, that package would virtually have to be built around future picks. So, like, it, it kind of depends what Chicago wants, I guess. OKC is interesting now. Like, Russell Westbrook and Jimmy Butler together for a couple years, just throw it at the wall, see what happens. I, I don't. If you're OKC, I think you probably do that. Um, although you know they've all with a more long-term approach, so it's, it's kind of hard to see Presti agreeing to that. You know, like it's fun to just imagine New Orleans flipping Boogie for Butler straight up. Um, you know, the Clippers could do something like DeAndre Jordan for Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, Houston, like we talked about Paul George, they could offer virtually that same package. Minnesota is the team that almost got him at the draft last year. You know, would would they do like Wiggins and a bad contract? I don't know what the situation is with Pekovic's deal. I think he might be off the book. They just so waived like him. Cole I think. Aldridge yeah. And Wiggins. Um. So so that's the thing, right? So so the Bulls need to decide what do they want. They want to win now or they want to prepare for the future. So if they want to prepare for the future, then there's a lot of teams that they could trade Jimmy Butler to, like a whole lot of teams. But if they want to win now, then the the thing they should do is just keep Jimmy Butler and shut their mouths, right? Just keep him because he's going to give you a best shot. You can't trade Jimmy Butler for somebody that's going to help you win faster or win, win more games this coming season. It just doesn't seem realistic. Um, you know, they do have enough holes in their lineup where if they could get um, two guys in return for Jimmy Butler, like just below the Jimmy Butler level, then maybe you can make the case. But uh, I, I mean, it, it, you either take a bunch of prospects and assets or, or you just kind of keep Jimmy Butler because he's a really good win now player. So I, I just don't see many many realistic trades out there if the Bulls want to continue winning now and also get rid of Butler. It's almost an oxymoron. Right, exactly. They're not even winning now. That's the other thing. Yeah, like, that's true. You, you, 
you're not going to get a player straight up better than Jimmy Butler, per se. Yeah, you're not going to, you can't like offer him to the Spurs and get Kawhi. Like, that's not happening. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, maybe the build through turning one asset into two or three pretty good assets is, is in some ways probably attractive to them because they're more than just one more player away. You know, I mean, they, the point guard situation is a mess. Denzel Valentine doesn't look like he's going to work out so far. Um, and there, there's holes all over that roster. So, yeah, I mean, they, like we just talked about, the Lakers are, are kind of a team on the up and up, and the Bulls, uh, is, there, is the down and down, is that a phrase? Is that something people say? I got teams on the down and down. No, but I like it. We, okay, we're well, using it. Well, they are. Well, and I do wonder, like, the Bulls were – uh, you know, one Rondo moving his hand just up a little bit away from maybe making yep. the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, you know, I know I jumped ahead a couple rounds in the playoffs, but it's it's kind of true. And so to say they're not winning is tough. But you know, because they were they were so close. You know, they they should have and could have beat the beat the Celtics and then the one on, and they they could have beat the Wizards too. I mean, they had a realistic shot. So I don't know. I just. I think you keep Jimmy Butler and you just kind of press on, and that's that's about it. Yeah, I mean, and he, and if if he's genuine and sincere in what he said yesterday that he wants to be there, you know, I think you do keep him, right? Like it's not like it's going to be this toxic situation. Like if if the Pacers hold on to Paul George all season, you know, I'm not saying he's going to he's just going to like not try or anything, but you know, you just you just kind of you're just marching toward, you know, what you know is going to happen at the end of the year. You're you're marching toward inevitability. And I think that could create some issues. Whereas, like Butler, at least, even if things aren't going to be great next year, if he wants to be there, he wants to be there, and, and he's going to make the best of it. Uh, one interesting thing that, that came across the newswire last night uh, wasn't overly reported on, but the Clippers apparently offered DeAndre Jordan to Phoenix for Tyson Chandler and the number four overall pick, and, and Phoenix turned that down. Yeah, I... <laughs> I, I, if I'm Phoenix, I, I think that makes sense. I just think that DeAndre Jordan's value is going to be highest with the Clippers, and it, and it has been highest when he's in an offense that has two very good passers in Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. And maybe the most important part of DeAndre Jordan's success as an NBA player has been Doc Rivers. Just, you know, Doc Rivers has basically been the DeAndre Jordan whisperer. And I'm just not sold that. Uh, Jordan is going to excel really anywhere else unless there's as good of a capable passer as Chris Paul. So you can maybe what count count on one hand um, how many other point guards can you know really initiate Jordan into an offense. Right. Um, I mean it's LeBron, Rondo, Dellavedova, and that's probably it. And maybe like if you want to go a little farther, like Ricky Rubio, maybe Lonzo Ball, that kind of thing. But yeah. really, the the list oh. is. Bond, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. <laughs> if you want to go way down to the bottom of the list, I, I, I think maybe the Suns are just saying, you know what, you know, maybe they're thinking in the same way I am, and that uh, DeAndre Jordan has probably reached the peak of his career because of the situation. Let's not forget he's 28 years old right now. Um, if he's out there, he can't create his own offense. You know, he he just needs to. He's a threat on the court, but only a threat if the right pieces are around him. So I think whenever he leaves L.A., his his value should be knocked a little bit, and I think that's kind of what the Thuns were think, thinking as well. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think that's a good point. Um, for Zingit, we have to address this. Even though it went from, like it was like threat level midnight <laughs> yesterday around 
noon or 11 a.m. when, you know, I think I think almost everybody almost read, myself included, too much into the report that you know Phil Jackson was basically kicking the tires, kicking the tires on a potential Chris Stapps trade. And everybody took that and ran with it as the Knicks are shopping for Zingas. They're looking to deal before the draft. And then, you know, everything kind of cooled off and was like, you know, they're doing in, you know, in reality what every team should be doing with all of their players. And that's gauging interest, right? You know, it's like there's a big difference between sending out a memo to everyone in the league and saying Chris Stapps is available than fielding an offer from a team that, you know, might give you something actually worth dealing for Zingas. Um, and, and I was talking to, to, to the same Bulls fan friend uh, last night about this deal, and right away he said, I, I, he's like, I would flip him. I, I don't think he's that good. I think he's overrated. And I don't know if overrated is the right word, but I do believe that we are at a point where people value Porzingis maybe on the same level as, as like Carl Anthony Towns, and I'm not sure that should really be the case after two seasons. Right. I mean, he's only 20 years old, so I, I can understand both sides of the argument that, you know, maybe we're seeing him as good as he's really going to be, which is a solid NBA player. Um, but then again, he's only 20 years old. He's he's putting some weight on. He's figuring out how to play in the NBA. Maybe he'll be a perennial all-star. I, I can see other ways because he's so young and he's shown us enough um, where I, I can understand people taking both sides. Um I think smart GMs, and I'm not ready to call Phil Jackson smart GMs uh, by any means, but I think smart GMs put everybody on the table. I mean, let's be honest here. If you say Porzingis is out there and you could get uh, a terrible team like um, you know, the Kings to offer you three first-round picks and the Kings' first-round picks are going to be in the top five for the next three years, then buy Porzingis. You know, see you later. You're really good and we, we like you, but if we can turn you into three potential players i mean that's just it's it's three-fifths of an entire starting lineup potentially over the next 10 years and so i think that smart front offices always put all their players out there on the table uh the thing that i don't understand is you know is the fighting between Porzingis and the front office like you know is this posturing did did Phil Jackson go out there and say that we're shopping him around just because they're mad that he hasn't talked to the front office you know that's that's the weird part here for me but just shopping all of your players on your roster is not is not uh is not off to me that makes perfect sense yeah a lot of smart GMs are the ones that are able to separate their relationships with players from the business side of things. And, and of course, it's important to have those relationships, but you can't let those overrule, you know, what's, what's, what's best for the team. And then that said, you know, trading Porzingis is probably not what's best for New York. So I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying that. Uh, but I think at the same time, you know, you, you can't necessarily fault the guy for, for fielding offers. Uh, one, one that I do want to know before we move on was, you know, Phoenix inquired, about Porzingis, and and it was reported that the Knicks asked for both Devin Booker and the number four pick, which to me, I, I saw a lot of strong reactions actually to both sides of this trade. Some saying that's way too much, others saying you know that's not enough. Where do you stand on that? This is, I, I say fifty fifty. Um, I think Devin Booker's value might be a little bit inflated by the fact that, you know, they just kind of like gave him the ball, especially like if, if a guy yeah. scores upwards of 60 points in a game, then automatically well, you're think he's... Sometimes he's got to score 70 points, it happens. 
Right. Yeah. But I, I don't know how that actually translates and he translates. Is Devin Booker a better player or will he be a better player than Clay Thompson? I don't know. I, I'm not so certain. If if Clay Thompson went to the Suns last year, Clay Thompson would have scored sixty points like five times, you know? And, and so it's all about the situation here. And while Devin Booker has shown us that he can go out there and do that on a realistic playoff contending team, can he be that guy and that two way player to get the job done? I don't know. I haven't seen that out of him. Porzingis, you know, I I think they have the same. Who would you rather have? Who would you rather have for the next ten years, Porzingis or Booker? Porzingis. So, yep. Yeah, I'd rather have Porzingis because I feel more confident with him on both ends of the court, whereas Booker just has the green light. And and I've said this before that any NBA caliber player that's allowed to go out there and shoot twenty five times per game is going to score points you know these guys are good it's just you know do you want that guy scoring or shooting the ball 25 times on a good team that's actually contending and I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case with Devin Booker over the course of his career I just think that this was very situational so I I feel a little more confident uh, with Porzingis meaning that maybe that trade is closer to 50-50 yeah no I think that's absolutely right sorry I was distracted for a second Uh, LaBella Ball just uh, just walk by. The hair is even more striking in person than it, than it is on YouTube videos. <laughs> is he head to toe baller brand? Uh, I I just caught him from behind. He's wearing a red polo, which I assume is big baller brand. Lonzo Lonzo was rocking the big baller brand shirt at media day. He was I wouldn't say he was underdressed because it's not like a super formal event, but most of the other guys were, you know, dressed pants, shirt, maybe a tie. Uh, but no, Lonzo was going big baller brand. He was the only guy there in big baller brand. Just want to report that. All right. Uh, so I never thought about this until now, but I wonder if there's any kind of tampering with uh, the younger balls with wearing big baller brand if it, when they go to college. I'm assuming they won't That's be really able to wear question. their own family brand. Yeah, unless I mean they're they're both already committed to UCLA. One of them is going to be a freshman this coming year. The other one is going to be a freshman in three years. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, I would seriously not rule out ucla just becoming a big baller brand school oh my gosh and they just that would just make them that would just make their <laughs> uniform um no i'm kidding that would never happen but yeah i don't know it's a good question i mean lonzo lonzo wasn't even wearing the shoes for some of his workouts that people made a big deal out of so you know dj this is going to sound kind of crazy but this all might be a big marketing ploy no. more than an actual start of a sporting brand company wow you've changed. okay let's yeah. talk about Let's talk about the opt-ins real quick before we before we end this. Dwayne Wade officially opted in yesterday and virtually just said, yeah, it's all about the money, which is fair because it should be. And Greg Monroe today, uh, prior to his deadline, uh, also announced that he will be opting in to the final year of his contract with the Bucks. Neither of these are overly unexpected. Um, Monroe, a lot of people have asked me about, you know, what did I want him to do? What should he have done? And it's tough to say. It's like Greg Monroe is pretty good. He was he's probably worth his contract. Um, would you want him under contract for more than next year? No, but I don't think it's really a huge hit to the Bucks that Greg Monroe opted in. No, it's it's not terrible, and, and that was kind of expected. Um, I obviously him opting in means that he and his team and basically everybody else doesn't think that his market value is as as high as as what he opted in for. In terms of Dwayne Wade, I expect him to be traded to a non contender next year so that uh obviously it's just a one-year deal 
um, and so a lot of salary cap space will be created, and maybe the Bulls will get a prospect in return at some point for Dwayne Wade next year. Um, do you think it's impossible for Dwayne Wade to be traded next year, basically just for salary cap reasons? Yeah, yeah I just don't see like any team that would, in theory, benefit from D Wade, like a Cleveland, like wouldn't be able to add that kind of salary, right? You know, and like a, a, a team like if Brooklyn isn't, you know, they don't need D Wade. Um, yeah, I think what's most likely is probably a buyout after the All-Star That's break. True. And, you know, just kind of like what Joe Johnson did a couple of years ago. Like it, he's going to get bought out, he'll join the contender and, you know, probably shoot 31% for three in the playoffs. <laughs> there you go. Uh, what are you most looking forward to, to uh, tomorrow night, Nick? So you're going to be on hand for the draft. Is it the, the suits that the guys are going to wear? Is it the crowd chanting for the Nets and Knicks picks? What is it? What are you most looking forward to being in person for the draft tomorrow night? Well, on the suits front, uh, I talked to Justin Pat for a while at Media Day, and he said he has something very special and Omaha-themed. Plan. Uh, so that's just really like an inlining in the that. suit, right? I don't know. I, I don't know. He kind of made it sound like it would be a big deal. He he said, if you're from Omaha, you'll know right away what it means. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to what that is. I'm not from Omaha. I've never been to Omaha. I don't really know anything about it other than, is that the, is that the Little League World Series? Is that there? Something's there. College World Series? College World Series is there. ConAgra is from there. Oh, I know what it's going to be. Uh, oh, ConAgra. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Omaha um, Steaks. I bet he's going to pull the Lady Gaga meat dress. That makes sense. Yeah. I, if he comes out with a suit made of steaks, automatic number one. <laughs> um, no, I don't, I'm, so I'm looking forward to that. But, you know, I think and this was brought up on, a, on another pod. I forget which one it was. Um, that... You know, like we like the era of like crazy suits is just kind of over because these guys are like they're coached so well and mm-hmm. they have like personal stylists now that the NBA provides them for this week that like you're just not going to see like the Tracy McGrady like MC Hammer pants or these like wild just crazy horrible suits that we saw like in the mid 2000s. Like unfortunately, that's no longer the case. I miss those. Uh, but what I'm most looking forward to. <sighs> That's such a good question. I, I I think the fans do make it a lot of fun. Like I was at the draft last year, and last year's draft was so anticlimactic. You know, there was really there was no big trades. You know, it was a relatively weak class, especially compared to this year. Um, but the fans were incredible, and it was it was so many 76ers fans for an event that's not in Philadelphia. Uh, and I think that's probably going to be the case again this year. And they have a right to be even more excited this year than they were last year. So. You know, I'm going to take the cop out answer and, and sound like every professional athlete ever and say it's just all about the fans. All right. I like it. Well, enjoy the draft, Nick. I know that I'll be looking forward to the next podcast after this one where you and James sit down and actually talk more in depth about the draft. Until then, thanks for, so much for joining us on the Rotowire NBA podcast. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, 
Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.